Thank you for joining us today for the Gospel Light Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Lenentine. We are a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, gospel-centered church family located in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. We are motivated to love God, grow together, and serve others. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit us at gospellightbaptist.org. Now we hope you enjoy today's message from one of our pastoral team members. from here from our theme passage for the year. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. This is Paul speaking uh, to us under inspiration of the Holy Ghost and writing this out as Paul wrote many books of the New Testament and 1 Corinthians being one of them. Now what's interesting about the writings of Paul is that they were either to a group of people or to a person. And sometimes he wrote just to a singular person as the name of that, that book. Uh, but most of the time he wrote to a church, a church that was in a town. And First and Second Corinthians were written to a church that was in a town by the name of Corinth. It was in Asia Minor, right around the Mediterranean Sea right there. And so he's writing to a group of believers that gathered together and then read his letter of what God, through Paul, had directed for them. And so for us as Gospelite Baptist Church, we would be a church in Rio Rancho. And not the only church in Rio Rancho, but hopefully we're a church in Rio Rancho that is trying to do a lot to reach our community for Christ. Amen. Filled with families and individuals who seek to honor God with their life and to follow his purpose no matter what that means. And so I want us to take these words that Paul writes today and Focus in as if we were reading them just to our church. And to hang on every word and say, okay, Paul, whatever this is from God, I want to get it through your writings. And 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 says this in verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, speaking to the saved, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, after that, he was seen above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this day, but some are fallen asleep. Paul's laying out the gospel, and the gospel very simply, as you'll hear throughout this month of January again and again, the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So many Christians say, oh, I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they talk about the gospel. But if you were to ask them, if you could give me a definition of the gospel... It's weird because it varies so much. Oh, well, it's the teachings of, of Jesus Christ. Oh, well, it's, uh, you know, the crucifixion. Oh, well, it's uh, the story of, of Christ and his redemption plan to us. And all of those are sometimes decent definitions, but we shouldn't make up a definition when the Bible's very clear and, and, and actually gives us the definition. Yes, sir. 
So Gospel Life Baptist Church, I don't want us to be confused at all about what the gospel, because the gospel is laid out very plainly. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those three things. If we could say those together, ready? The death, the burial, and the resurrection. Those are the three things. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. If you take out one of those, you don't have the gospel now. If Jesus died and then he was buried and it stopped, what would make him any different than you or I? We've all been to a funeral before. We've witnessed, we knew someone who had lived and then they died. In fact, that's so common that we know it will happen to every single one of us. And that's why you should never take life too seriously because none of us get out of it alive. But the gospel is the death, the burial, and then the resurrection. And those three things together make up what it means to be saved. And Paul lays that out clearly for us here. Let's go in and pray. And after that, you can be seated. Dear Lord, we thank you, God, for the gospel. Lord, thank you that you chose to die on a cross for our sins, Lord. God, thank you so much that you went through everything that you didn't have to, God. To give us everything that we don't deserve, Lord. To spend an eternity with you. God, thank you for rising again from the dead, Lord. Lord, thank you for making it so plain in the scriptures about the gospel. And how we can declare that gospel unto other people, Lord. I pray that you might bless this time we have together. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, every once in a while, you don't, you don't need to go to uh, Bible college in order to preach the gospel. Anybody can preach the gospel. But if you do go to Bible college, they, they'll, they tell you some different stuff about preaching. And one of the things that they tell you about preaching is, if you can believe it or not, they'll say, sometimes if you're, if you're preaching, let's say on a Sunday morning, which is typically uh, the biggest crowd that's in church together. If you're preaching on Sunday morning, you don't want to go to a lot of different places in the Bible because there might be some people there that won't know how to get to those different places that are in the Bible. It might be slightly embarrassing for them because they might not know where that book in the Bible is or turn to here or turn to there or whatever else. And so if you can, try to just stay right there as close as you can. And maybe if you're going to go somewhere else, uh, you can just put those verses up there or whatever and it will prevent people from having to turn so much and different things like that. I have to tell you today, I'm going to do none of that, okay, if that's all right with you. Uh, because there's a lot of places that I want us to go to in the scripture. And if you don't know where they're at, that's all right. I'm going to read them for you. And so uh, if, if you can trust me a little bit, trust me on that. But I want us to go to a couple places in the scripture to be able to look at an important truth of declaring the gospel if we could, okay. And so let's stay together. We're going to be mostly, uh, we're going to stay uh, mostly together here in the uh, New Testament. But I want us to go over to 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter 1. That's headed towards the back of the book there as you head towards Revelation, the last book. 1 John chapter number 1. And the Bible tells us at the very beginning of that, 1 John, this is not the epistle of John, but 1 John. In chapter number 1, the Bible says this, verse 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifest, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye may also have fellowship with us. 
And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. I want to start at the beginning and just tell you today that if we're intent this year on declaring the gospel, Gospel Baptist Church, that there's a couple of things that we need before we set out to declare the gospel. And it's laid out for us both in 1 Corinthians 15 and also in 1 John chapter number 1. And that is in verse number 3. He said this, first, we have seen and we've heard and now we're able to declare But if we hadn't seen and we hadn't heard, we'd have a great difficulty in promoting and telling and passing on that which we haven't seen or heard or experienced ourselves. I want you to write a couple of things down if you could in your bulletin, that center section right there. There's a spot for notes. Pastor called me uh, on on Friday afternoon and I was at uh, my son's basketball game and that's when he knew, all right, I've tested positive here. And uh, I'm going to need you to preach for me on Sunday morning. And I said, all right. Uh, And so I started into that. The bulletin had already been created and populated, however. And so uh, uh, if you'll write anything down inside there, uh, then that would help us out greatly here. But I want you to write down this. The first thing that you need uh, for uh, for the declaration is this. It was a personal observation. A personal observation. Paul said this, and John said this as well. I've both seen it and I've heard it. I've observed the gospel. I've observed the gospel. In fact, over in John chapter number 4, I will read these verses to you. But if you want to go there, we're in John chapter number 4. And if you know anything about John 4, it's the story of the woman at the well. And there was this lady who, she went to draw water and she wasn't expecting to have an experience or an encounter with Jesus Christ. But... So as so often, whenever those are uh, unsolicited and unwarranted, Christ shows up and he starts to explain to her the gospel. And he's saying, look, I know that you believe this before, you've heard this before, but let me really explain to you the gospel. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And in verse number uh, 29, she goes over and she starts to declare, and in verse number 29, 429, come and see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And they went out of the city and they came also unto him. Why? Because she had both seen it and she had heard it. It was explained to her. She saw it firsthand and then she was able to declare it. You think about the shepherds on the hillside on that night when Jesus was going to be born. And they heard that glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And they went and they saw the baby Jesus. And then what does the Bible said that they do? It says that they began to publish and to declare about that which they had seen. But you know what? We're not very good at talking about or explaining things that we haven't seen or experienced. Uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, me and my wife got to go on a vacation. And we went to Mexico. We'd never been there before. And we were, we were thinking, like, well, how do we do it another day? And all of a sudden, it was in October or something like that. And it got unseasonably cold in New Mexico, and it snowed early that year, like super early. And so I'm here at work, and all of a sudden it's snowing, and the kids, you know, freaking out. And if you don't know if it's snowing or not, just if you have kids, you know. <laughs> like they, somehow they can see the first drop every single time. And so there was this buzz around the school that it was snowing or whatever else. And, uh, and so I got a, a call or a text from my wife, 
and, and she said, uh, all right, I'm sick of this cold, we're out of here. And so we just booked it right there, and we decided to go to Mexico. And so it was really cool because you go down there, and there was snorkeling, and there's all kinds of these great things that were happening, and got to go on all these adventures and stuff. And this is one of the, the, the beaches near Tulum there, and we got to go in, inland and see some sightseeing and all kinds of great stuff, and these pyramids that are super, you know, old and whatever else. And I'm always the, uh, the, optim the overly, overly, naively optimistic person in a relationship, and my wife's more the realist. Now, what's interesting, my wife is a true realist, but what's interesting about pessimists is they, they always think that they're realist, right? And so you can kind of fudge those words however they want to say it. But I took all of these pictures and all these videos or whatever of us snorkeling and doing all these things, and I kept telling my wife, when we go back home, I'm going to sit the kids down, and we're going to show them all of these adventures. Like, we got to do all these cool things, and look at this, and look at this, and, you know, you guys didn't get to do any of that, and, and show them this. And my wife on the trip, she, she keeps telling me, she said, they're not going to care. You know, like, they're not going to care that, that we did any of this stuff. And I said, no, 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 they will. They're, they're our kids, and they're heavily invested in our lives, and they love us, and we're their parents, and... and you don't know them as well as I do, babe, you know, like we have this understanding, me and the kids, they're going to really care. And so I got home and so I started showing them all of this, these, these pictures of all of this stuff that we had uh, gone, you know, to in these videos or whatever. Isn't this cool and this, this type of thing or whatever else. And about three minutes into it, they're like, oh, dad, that's really cool. But, but what did you get us from there? Did you bring us anything back? <laughs> and that's all that they cared about. And my slideshow that I had carved out an afternoon for and, and prepared for and everything for about a three or four hour showing or whatever, that lasted about five or six minutes. And my wife just looked at me and she said a statement that I'm never going to forget. She said, truth is, people don't care about pictures that they're not in. I was like, that's true. And even as adults, it's true because if you take a picture and you look at that picture, who's the first person that you look for in that picture? Yourself. And you go... Oh, you can't post that. I don't look, you know, whatever. And you're like, you always look like that. What are you talking about? It's not like, this is not a bad picture of you. This is just a picture of you, right? Like, I'm, I'm sorry, you know. I mean, there's no flattering angle. Or, no, I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to say that. Um, but we always look for ourselves. And it's true. And I've caught myself doing it so many times. We had Christmas pictures here as a church. And, and so our family got, we were one of the families that kind of broke the sets because there was too many people to fit on there. And so we got this picture. And, uh, and uh, my wife showed it to me or whatever else. And immediately I looked, I tried to find where my face was. And then right after that, I look at my kids and say, okay, were they looking at the camera, right? Because they have that like one, two, and they look away at the last second every single time. You know, it's like just right there. But we don't care about pictures that we're not in. You ever got back from a trip and tried to show your coworkers, oh, how was it? Oh, great, let me show you. They're like, yeah, okay. Anyways, they don't care. Because the truth is, unless you personally observed it, you don't care a lot about it. The other day, my sister-in-law came in, and she loves history. And so uh, she started explaining to me about this, this museum that they'd gone to, you know, this and this or whatever else. And I tried to catch myself. I was like, okay, like, remain interested, right? I told myself that. I'm like, like, hang in there. I like history, too. I was like, okay, cool. And she explained this other thing. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, whatever. And then I was like, after, like, 30 seconds, I was like, I can't fake it anymore. I'm like, I don't... Like, I didn't go, I don't care. Like, I'm sure it was great, but I don't, until I go, I really don't care. Go talk to someone who went with you, right? Because we don't really care unless we've personally observed it ourselves. 
But if we have, all of a sudden, man, it comes to life, and you want to go and tell everybody, tell everybody. But the truth is, is that those other people don't really care unless it's also been a personal experience. This is why when you go through a hardship with somebody else, man, you're bonded forever because that personal experience of that observation of what you've gone through, man, it cements you together. But if someone didn't go through that as well, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm sure it was nice. I just can't get there. And so we can't speak credibly about things that we haven't observed. If you're writing down any statements, I want you to write this statement down because it'll become important, I promise. I know it's a lengthy statement. But you can't credibly speak about what you haven't observed. You can't credibly speak about something you haven't observed. If you grew up in uh, or if you've been around or worked in law enforcement or whatever else, you understand the importance of an eyewitness account to something. And for the disciples, you have right here an eyewitness account. They said, look, we've both seen and we've heard and we've touched, we've handled, our hearts have connected with Jesus Christ. And that's the message that we're trying to declare unto you, is the message that we've both seen and we've heard. I want to summarize the story for you. It's in 2 Samuel, and it proves this point perfectly in chapter number 18. And there's two guys that you might not be familiar with, but these are their names. Himeaz and Cushai. And I'm going to read for you a story out of 2 Samuel chapter number 18. It's in the Old Testament. And it's a, it perfectly illustrates the point that we're trying to make today about a personal experience. 2 Samuel chapter number 18. These two guys, they actually had a, a job. And for, the, for some of you, this would be like the worst job ever. But their job was, was to, to run a report. They were an errand runner. And back before the days where you could just pick up a phone, if something happened on the battlefield, they kind of summarized what was going on, or maybe they'd write down a quick detail. They would pack it up, and they would start running. They would take off. And they would run as far as they had to in order to deliver that message. Sounds about like the worst job you could possibly have. But that was their job. And so in 2 Samuel chapter number 18, in verse number 19, it says, Then said Ahimeaz, our top guy right there, he said this, Let me now run and bear the king tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. Uh, but this day, because thou shalt bear no tidings, because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to Cushai, that's our second guy right there, Go and tell the king what thou hast seen. And so they both take off running. And if we were to read on the story, Cushai takes off first because he was sent. And then Ahimeaz comes back again. He's like, please let me run. Please let me run. Please let me run. I have no anyone who's this eager just to run, right? If you're out there, good for you or whatever, right? And so he's coming back to the king. Let me run. Let me run. And, and, and Joab's telling him, like, look, you got nothing to report. I mean, what's the point? And so finally he convinces him, and he takes off running. Ahimeaz was a lot faster than Cushai, and so somewhere along the way he overtakes him in this run. And he sprints all the way as fast as he possibly can, and he gets there to King David. And he comes in the door, and, and he just got there, and so David sees him, he brings him in, and he goes, okay, hey, what's going on? What's going on? Tell me about the war. And verse number 28 says this, And Ahimeaz called and said unto the king, All is well. And he fell down to the earth upon the face before the king. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God, which hath delivered uh, up the men, and that lifted up their head against my lord the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? That was David's son. And he was in battle. He was worried about him. And Hemiaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, and me thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. And the king said unto him, Turn aside and stand here. And he stood aside, turned aside and stood there. 
He rushes all the way there. If you can picture this, and David's like, man, I've waited for this. He's been waiting. He's been waiting. And he gets there. He says, okay, what's the report? Is my son dead alive? And he goes, I mean, there was a great, there was a, and there's a lot of action. There was fists flying, and you should have seen it. I mean, it was crazy, and people were yelling, and all kinds of, but I, I don't know. And David says, all right, get to the side. And then he's waiting. All of a sudden, here comes a second runner, and he comes over the hill, and there's Cushai right there. And then David finally gets him in, and he goes, oh, hey, hey, do you know the news? And he said, King, I know the news. Your son's dead. Two guys that ran, a lot of activity, a lot of effort on their part, but only one actually had something to declare. And for us Christians, if we have nothing to declare, if we have nothing to say, then what's the point of all of that? I want you to write down this. Activity doesn't equal profit. The Bible says, and I'll paraphrase this, but from Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says that in that day of judgment, there's going to be a lot of people that say unto him, Lord, we did many mighty works in thy name. We cast out devils. We preached a lot of great sermons. We fed the poor. We visited the sick. We helped those in prison. We did all kinds of stuff for you. And Jesus answered to them and says, depart from me. I never knew you. Just because there's a lot of activity doesn't mean that there's a lot of profit. Because these guys had never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So yeah, they did a lot of works. They did a lot of things. They were busy. They were super helpful, all these other things. But you know what they had never experienced for themselves? The gospel. They had never experienced the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And I want to say in a crowd this size right here, that there's probably several people that you, for yourself, you've never experienced the personal gospel of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you're trusting in a lot of activity that you've done, a lot of good works, a lot of things that you're trying to do, but none of it's the gospel. And there's only one way to get saved, folks, and that's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a young man who was in my office on Wednesday night. Been coming to church here a while, and I said, hey, are you 100% sure that you go to heaven? Do you know for sure that you'd be able to go to heaven? And he said, he said, look, I know, I know you're supposed to uh, honor the Lord God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, I'm trying really hard to keep the Ten Commandments. I've had a lot of things in my past I'm trying to run from and trying to and redeem for or whatever. But I'm, I'm trying to do all these things. So I don't know, but I'm trying really hard. And I told him very simply from the Bible that all of that activity doesn't equal salvation. But what does equal salvation is the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And outside of that, there's no amount of good works that we could do that could forgive our sin debt before Jesus Christ. The second thing that I want you to write down uh, is this, and that is a personal transformation. Before we have a declaration, we must have a personal transformation. In John chapter number 4, I'll take you back to the story that we looked at already with the woman at the well. And she, she went into town, and, and she just met Jesus Christ. She had seen and she had heard, and she herself had a personal transformation where she accepted Christ as her Savior. And so she run into the, runs into the town. She tries to tell everybody, you've got to come and see Jesus. You've got to come and see Jesus. Tries to explain it all to them. Tries to show them the pictures or whatever, but they're not fully invested yet. But then they come, and they meet Jesus Christ. And listen what happens in John chapter number 4, in verse number 40. It says this. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, 
and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his word and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this indeed is the Christ, the savior of the world. Secondhand experiences never count for salvation. You won't be saved because your grandmother's saved. You're not saved because your spouse is saved. You're not saved because you've sat in church a whole lot. You're not saved because your pastor is saved. You're saved only when you have a personal transformation of the gospel of Christ inside your own life. There's parts of every story, and I want to talk about the redemption story. But first off, this is just a, a little simple thing here of Freytag's pyramid template for storytelling. And every story that you like uh, of any Disney classic, of there's Pinocchio or Bambi or whatever else, all follows this exact same storyline. That's simply that at the beginning there's an exposition that just kind of lays the groundwork. There's not a whole lot going on. It sort of so, shows like a life as normal. This is how we normally do things around here. And then all of a sudden there's a rising action that climax in an event that is a, a terrible tragedy that needs some type of resolution. And then the rest of the story is spin and resolution to that. And then life can succeed back to normal again. And every movie or any show or whatever else all follows this same storyline. And I want to promise you today that there is a story of redemption that is true for every single one of us. Because God writes the story. And none of us can try to write our own story because it's already been written by Jesus Christ. And I want to just give this story briefly to you. And I promise I'll move quickly because I, I realize uh, what time it is. But this is the story of redemption. The first part of that story of redemption is sin and consequence. There must be a time for you where you, where you realize that you've done something wrong. I was witnessing to someone several years ago. And I was telling them about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they, they said, hey, that sounds really good. Um, I don't really believe that I'm a sinner at all. But is it okay if I pray that and just ask Jesus to save me? And so I wanted to say yes, and hey, I rejoice with you, but I said, well, let me ask you this question instead. If you're not really a sinner, then why do you need a Savior? If you don't have a problem, you don't need a solution that I'm trying to present to you. But the Bible tells us, for the wages of sin is death. And the Bible tells us that death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. There is a major consequence for sin, and it's eternal separation from Jesus Christ in a place called hell. And if there wasn't a consequence for sin then why would any of us need a savior? Why do you need a raft if you're not drowning? But if you realize that I am a, a rotten sinner that needs a savior, and I'm in peril of an eternity without Jesus Christ, well, all of a sudden, the second part of the story makes a lot more sense to you, and that's the cross and resurrection. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. In other words, if Jesus doesn't die and he doesn't shed his blood on the cross for us, there is no forgiving of the first part, that sin and consequence. And those have already been taken care of. Those exist, whether we want to recognize them or not. But here's what exists for us personally. That's the third part of this story. And that is belief and confession. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. Everyone remembers a good birth story. You know, I've talked to a lot of people since now, now that we're pregnant and looking forward to the day. I've talked to people before. And you know what's interesting? For I've talked to a lot of parents. No one's ever forgotten the story of how their kid was born. 
you know, I don't really remember. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of fuzzy, you know, I just, I'm, I know we have a kid now. <laughs> I guarantee you, especially if you're a mom, now I realize if you're a dad, maybe that really is your story. But, I don't know, I, there was a lot of screaming, and then, and we have a kid now. Um, but I guarantee you, if you went through that travail, probably, probably a couple things stand out to you. So here's the point to, that I'm trying to make to you. If in your mind it's not indelibly imprinted, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you might not have a story of redemption. You're trying to tell me that you can remember all the details surrounding your kid being born. You can tell, you're trying to tell me that you remember exactly where you were on 9-11. You're, you, can, you can tell me uh, these different things about uh, how you first met your spouse or where you went on a honeymoon or whatever else. But you can't tell me the moment when something as big as God moved inside you. And when he forgave all of your sins and consequence. And he promised to give you a home in heaven. And he wiped away all the transgressions against you. You're telling me you're a little fuzzy on when that, I don't, I don't remember. I don't know. Was I, was I seven? Was I 40? I don't remember. There's been a couple of times. I was talking just with a guy yesterday. I said, hey, you know for sure you go to heaven. And he said, you know what? I, I grew up as an altar boy. And this and this and this story. I said, that's not what I asked though. It's not what I asked. It's, it's a good story, but it's not this story. And there's a lot of good stories, folks, but there's only one story that can save you. Amen. And so it's really interesting that it's close to birth. But you know what? It's not really even, it's not a, so tied to a story of birth now, is it? Because when you're born, that baby was never somebody else's. It's, it's, it's yours. But the Bible says that, no, no, we're more like adopted into the family of God, aren't we? I remember the story of, of our adoption when, uh, before we had the boys. And now Samuel is 10 and Isaiah is is nine, but two and a half years ago when they weren't our kids, remember they came for the first time into our house. And they were living with a lady that was just a few miles away from our, our house actually. And so they spent a couple, uh, they spent like a week with us before Christmas. And we went sledding that day and took them to all this fun stuff or whatever. And remember we were laying in bed that night and my wife started that kind of calm, you know, wives want to talk to you right before you're trying to go to bed or whatever, right? And so, uh, so she said, uh, hey, uh, don't you think today went really well? And I was like, yeah, yeah, well, today, today went well, you know, and like back to sleep. And she said, well, I thought it went really, really well. And I said, yeah, baby, I mean, it, was a, you know, it was a good day. I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know what, what you want from me more. Like, yeah, okay, you know, it was great, you know, or whatever. And uh, she said, uh, I really like them. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm dumb, so it takes me a long time. I'm like, yeah, I like them too. And she's like, no, I, I really like them. I said, oh, oh, okay. Now, I, I didn't know we were on a date with them, you know, whatever. Like, I don't, okay, all right. Go to the next level, you know? So, so she said, you know, they're, they're freed for adoption now. We could, we could adopt them. And, like, we'd gone through this whole process or whatever, but then, like, that's when it hit me. Like, you know, stupid me. Like, oh, yeah, I, I guess we could have, you know, these kids in our house. My wife had been orchestrating it the whole time, though, as wives sometimes do. And so all of a sudden we started to spend a little bit more time with them, spend more time with them. And there was a conscious choice on our part to say, okay, you know what? We want these kids. Sometimes they were on their best behavior, but sometimes they weren't on their best behavior. But we decided together, we want these kids. Now, maybe for some of you, if you had realized how your kids would turn out, you'd say, I don't know that I, but they were born to you, so you have no choice. But with fully formed and developed kids that someone else had changed diapers and taught to read and all that other stuff, 
we made a choice in saying we, we want those kids right there. And so there was a day we were in pastor's office, and because of COVID, we were there, and, and we were all on the screen or whatever, and the judge was there, and a bunch of our family members or whatever else. And that adoption process, and the judge looked at those little kids at 9-8 and said, do you want for Jeremy and Sarah, for these people to be your parents? And they were on the video screen or whatever, and couldn't, so I, I pinched them down there, and started to say yes. <laughs> and so they affirmed at a young age, yes. We want for them to be our parents. And the judge said something very interesting. She said, by the power invested in me, she said, these kids are now as much your kids as if they had naturally been born to you. And so therefore, with all the rights and privileges pertaining to natural born kids, Samuel and Isaiah are now part of the Win and Time family. And that can't be undone. And when God chose you, God knew every bad thing about you. Now, since we've adopted our kids, we found out a couple more things about them, right? Like, well, I didn't know you. So you were faking a little bit, right? Like, you're playing the long game. All right, that's pretty good, buddy. You're on to us. But God, knowing every intent of your heart, past, future, and present, every word spoken, every word not spoken, every sin, God knowing that, the Bible says this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God chose to pick you. Isn't that amazing? And because of that, we're adopted into his family. But there's only one story and path to redemption. There's a poem that says, I didn't have potatoes, so I substituted rice. I didn't have paprika, so I used another spice. I didn't have tomato sauce, so I used tomato paste. Not a half a can, a whole can. I don't believe in waste. A friend gave me this recipe. She said you couldn't beat it. There must be something wrong with me. I couldn't even eat it. We often try to do God's recipes, but with the wrong ingredients. As clearly as I can, I want to say that in a room this size, I don't believe that everyone in here has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. You might have a good story, but I, let me promise you this from the Bible. There's only one story of redemption. And if we're going to declare the gospel, first we need to have experienced and heard and seen with our own eyes and accepted Christ for ourselves. That's only one way, through believing that I'm a sinner and that there's a true consequence for my sin. For recognizing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and it's only through him that I can be saved. And then by faith, placing my trust inside him. That story of us adopting the boys, we learned more about them and learned more about them. And so that was a process. But let me promise you that moment when they got adopted, that was a moment, a happening in time when it happened. You might have spent a lot of years hearing about Christ and hearing about warming up to the idea or whatever else. But if there has not been a time for you where you've accepted Christ as your Savior, let me promise you that you're not a child of God. You're not a son of God. You have not received that gift of eternal life. Today you need to accept Christ as your Savior. And whatever you've been trusting in, whether it was a church or what this person told you or whatever else, I promise you from the Bible, there's only one path towards redemption. And that's laid out right there. Our believing on Jesus Christ and asking him to save us. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. I wonder if in a room this size, there'd be someone who would say, you know what? 
maybe previously I've been a little fuzzy on the details. I didn't maybe view it as that important or whatever else. Or maybe I've just been wrong about this thing. But I'm not sure that I've experienced for myself the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that there's a consequence for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again. But for me today, I, I need to place my faith in Jesus Christ and ask him to save me. Before we get on to declaring the gospel, I want to just take a brief second and just say, is there anyone in here who might need to personally experience the gospel? If you don't know for sure that you've accepted Christ as your Savior, with no one looking around, head bowed, eye closed, if you would just raise your hand. I promise you that Christ wants to save you. He died for the sins of everyone. And if you need to call upon him and ask him to save you, there's no better day than today to accept Christ as your Savior. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As I begin to pray, I want everyone in the room to stand. We're going to have a time of just invitation in just a second. And as you stand, let me promise you, I realize you might not want to stand. We've been sitting for a while, though, but it will help people around you to be able to get to an altar. And so please stand where you're at. I'm going to pray. And right after I pray, we're going to have a simple time of invitation. If you need to come down here and do business with God, please do that. There's just nothing better than praying at an old-fashioned altar and asking Christ for something. Dear Lord, I pray that you might help us, Lord. Thank you, God, so much for the story of redemption, God. And every one of us, Lord, maybe we're, we were in a different place or maybe a different person or whatever else. But, Lord, we've all followed the same path of getting to you, Lord. Thank you for your precious shed blood on the cross. Thank you for all that you did for us, God. I pray that you might bless in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sit down and eyes are closed. Hi, this is Brent Lenentine, and before we go, I want to say thank you for listening to this podcast. It is our prayer that today's message has encouraged and helped you. If you have any questions about how to be saved or your Christian walk, we would love to connect with you. Please visit us at gospellightbaptist.org. If you live in the greater Albuquerque area and don't have a church home, we hope that you'll visit with us soon at Gospel Light Baptist Church in Rio Rancho. And if you do have a church home, then I pray that you are able to attend there. Every person needs to be faithful and accountable in a local church where they can grow and serve. This podcast is a supplement to your spiritual growth and let it encourage you to be more for Christ. Again, our website is Gospel Light Baptist. Thank you for listening and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in today. If you were listening for the first time, we believe the most important decision you could ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal way. To find out more about that, please visit gospellightbaptist.org slash Jesus. If you are a regular listener, we want to thank you for your time, and we would ask that you subscribe to this podcast, and also take a moment to share it with others on social media. Until next time, may God richly bless you.